Welcome to the Mike Bell Real Estate Show. Mike is one of the nation's top realtors and is highly regarded as an authority in residential real estate sales. Mike Bell has nothing to sell but great wisdom. You're going to love this show. Now, here's Mike Bell. You're listening to the Mike Bell Show. This is Mike Bell. I've been selling for 19 years and... I've been told I'm ranked in the top 1% of all realtors in the nation. They, they accuse me of knowing what I'm talking about. Well, there's lots of ways to reach me. During the show, you can always call at 888-GO-FOR-IT. 888-GO-FOR-IT. My personal cell is 888-401-1555. I'm not going to answer it during the show, but after the show, call me at 888 401 one five five five. My email is mikebell at kw.com. And my website is www.themikebellteam.com. Well, we're here in our new Pasadena studio with Engineer Dave. I don't think he's mic'd up. And this is our second show. It's pretty, I'm pretty excited. It's going it's to it's be a better show than last week. I had a lot of uh, butterflies last week. Well, anyways. On this show, it's a very special show. It's going to be an excellent. People people always ask me about new construction. They ask me about trends, uh, what the last cycle brought us, um, asking me about mixed-use development, all, all these things. And, you know, I've always been intrigued. What goes on in these strategy sessions for housing developers? Well, my guest, my co-host, is my friend Mike Gray. I've known Mike for, I think, about 10 years. He's the Senior Vice President of Lambert Development, headquartered in New York. He has developed major office buildings throughout the country, and in 1998, switched to residential with quite a few significant projects, which is where I met him. Um, he's done, he's built thousands of housing units. Right now, he's actually building 2,000 units in Central America. So this is going to be a very, very informative show. By the way, Mike, Michael, because I'm Mike and you're Michael. Thank you for making that two-hour drive. It's my pleasure. So, um, Mike, I want – I just have some really basic questions, and these are the questions I'm sure any realtor or really any, any – people ask me this all the time because I do, I, I do deal with new development, even though most of the housing, most of the housing stock out here is mostly – it's built before World War II. But there is new development that comes into the central core in, in our city, and it's the same with a lot of other cities. But I just want to know, hey, what are developers developing right now? Uh, development is basically a very cyclical industry that depends primarily on demand and uh, financing. It's interesting that you mentioned that we're actually doing some development in Central America. The reason as a residential developer we're doing development in Central America is because we use the term the music stopped in 2008, which is basically meant that people stopped buying and banks stopped lending. The music stopped. Wow. And uh, we're, we, we're now using the phrase the orchestra is getting organized, but he hasn't started playing yet. But uh, I like that. Um, so uh, in order to be able to finance a project, you first of all have to be able to sell it. And uh, it's interesting, you know, how you and I met. We originally met uh, because you were the broker that seemed to be representing all the buyers of, of a product that of a project that we were doing in South Pasadena. 
And so because we were so impressed with you and I was I wanted to meet you. So that's how we originally met, even though we were at that time really on the opposite sides of the table. Um, so if you have demand, then the question is, can you get the financing? We're going to go into it, I think, in a little later, but it leverages is a critical component to real estate development. And so you have to be able to get financing. And if the banks aren't lending or aren't lending at terms that make it acceptable to the developer, another topic we'll discuss, which is risk, um, there isn't any development. So what's going on currently? Let's talk at sort of each individual market. The uh, cities typically love retail because they get sales tax and hotels because they get transient occupancy tax. That makes sense, yeah. More revenue for them. Um, Apartments have been built because when we had the foreclosure problem, that created demand for apartments. And because there was demand, the banks uh, and the government were willing to provide financing to develop apartments. In my opinion, that may have maybe getting a little overdone because as – as apartment rents have risen, the um, alternative of buying a home will become more attractive, and that could mean you could be an oversupply of apartments. You know, it's funny you should say that. One of the things that we teach in our office if, with new agents is actually we're going after apartment occupants and telling them why it's such a good time to buy, enticing them with, you know, the interest rates are amazing right now. I mean, 3%, are you kidding me? But for we tw- twenty five years or thirty, 30 years, yeah. yeah. But the, but we have agents that are going to apartment complexes and they're putting flyers in the apartment complex and underneath people's doors saying, "Now's a great time to buy," with all the reasons to do it. And so it's funny. That's our market. Is we're going after it. We've. I can remember, you know, in my in my career, many years when people getting a nine percent mortgage was a great deal, <laughs> and to be able to tie money up like that and fix it for that period, I think in a few years people are going to look back and say they were crazy not to take advantage of it. Well, isn't it inflation at uh, one point seven? I mean, the money is almost free. Yeah. Um, the other markets, I mean, so apartments are doing well. Single family starting to take off. That's really more of a manufacturing business. Um, the retail is probably on a national basis overbuilt. That's why you see, you know, vacant buildings. Um, they say we have, if you calculate the amount of retail space we, we have, it's more than theoretically we need. Um, we're also seeing the big switch to the internet and department stores, for example, are having a hard time creating a, uh, image to the customer. Uh, the same thing is really happening in office. The amount of office space needed for companies has been reduced as people have worked at home and uh, um, haven't haven't need to to spend time at the office and, and there's been a, and there's been downsizing. So the really the market, I mean, I'll, I'll, let me give you our company's history. We built office buildings in the 80s. In the late 80s, um, we we were selling you know 20, 30, 40 story buildings to the Japanese at very low cap rates. Uh, that market died, and there, it really has not come back to date. Yeah. We then switched into residential. Residential was great from about um, 1995 until the music stopped in 2008. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that r- the only area where there is really potential market is residential. Interesting. Well, one of the things that you talked about was uh, we're going to talk about this, I'm sure, about the, politi- <clears throat> the political uh, pushes for development that. There's a city near us, La Cunada, and there's I know of a big parcel out there, and the city wants a hotel there. And uh, it, income, it's the income. And I mean, mm-hmm. 
you can make so much money on the hotel taxes. Yeah. And, it's amazing. Think about it. We all we all travel to some extent. When you go and see your hotel bill and you see the tax at the end, that's it's a, it's a huge amount as a percentage, much higher than any other taxes. But uh, it, it's a hindrance because lots of times we'll see great sites, but we can't. Um, the city won't basically approve them. And then you you have new ideas for development, like um, you know mixed use. Some cities won't zone for that. So um, that's another constraint. But we're going to probably talk about that a little later. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, talk a little bit more about um, the financing and okay. wh- where it was and wh- where where is it going? Okay, the financing of real estate um, is critical to development. Mm-hmm. The profit margins in development are um, not high enough to develop real estate without financing. If you have a like a residential project that has a profit margin of, let's say, 15%, nobody is going to take the kind of risks that we have to take to earn 15%. So what happens is you uh, marry a bank loan at a low interest rate relatively. I mean, right now you could borrow money for 5% um, with more expensive equity. And in that way, you get the yield up so that it can be financed. Mm-hmm. Um the uh, banks' requirements and availability changes over time, um, and the same thing with the equity markets. I, I think the best thing to do is to is to walk through a project and talk about each piece. If we we build a project in in uh, San Diego, California, it was 222 units in uh, like t- uh, 20 story buildings. Mm-hmm. The project cost about 100 million dollars. Oh. We borrowed 65 million dollars from a major bank in San Diego. We then got an equity investment from Lehman Brothers, who's no longer in business, for about $25 million, and our company put up about $10 million. Developers don't have the money to put up $100 million to do a project. So the next, first thing is you've got, the, you've got the basic financing that comes from the bank for 65%. So let's say that pays 8%. Then you have this what we call mezzanine money that came from uh, a investment bank typically or some – it, basically, the investment banks went to pension funds and say, you know, we'll give you a 50, we'll, we'll pay you a 15% return. Mm-hmm. Then they came to the developers and they said, well, we want 20%, and they made the difference. So those mezzanine loans were typically done at a 20, 20% internal rate of return. How, how long could this all take? I mean, this process of just trying to connect with the, the local, I'm, I'm assuming these are local regional banks. They have, you know, they want to put their money locally, but how long a process like that could it could it take a whole year to the, these to arrange? This is one of the risks of development. It takes years, plural. I mean, you first you have to do the entitlements, means you have to get city approval. Well, while you're doing part of that is getting it designed to a certain extent, getting construction estimates, and as you say, soliciting the financing. You're an escrow at this point, still, right? You just have a long escrow, or maybe you've already bought the property. It depends. This is another risk. If you bought the property and you bought it based upon a certain amount of development, you don't get that development. You could be wiped out right in the beginning. Wow. Okay. But then, in other words, I've explained, you know, that the, that the uh, to get back to the financing, that the uh, investment bank needs a 20% internal rate of return. Well, then the people that put up that riskiest 10%, they're looking for 30 to 50% a year. And so what happens is, in this sort of financing area is you marry these three sources that have different needs and each one comes with it with a set of problems. 
uh, from here from a developer's perspective. The commercial bank uh, has a low interest rate, but it is um, it comes with the desire on the bank's part to get a personal guarantee. That means you're putting your personal net worth at risk on the development project. Is that project. pretty normal for developments? I mean, you, you've got to put your your name on that and you're guaranteeing this money? It depends upon where you are in the cycle. Sure. And if you go back over the last few years, in the beginning, yes, as you got to um, when things were – when all this money was being thrown at, at you know development, you could get away with uh, – not personally guaranteeing. That's scary right now. Stuff. You have to personal guarantee. Wow, that's scary stuff. So if you're going to be personally guaranteeing, it's like getting a regular home loan with somebody, with a bank. They're going to want to know your credit score. They're going to want to know your assets. They're going to want to know your bank accounts. They're going to want to know what kind of money you've been making. They want to see your tax returns. Very intrusive. It's just the way it is, though, right? Well, but it's it's really changed because um, uh, the banks were not even re- requiring you to prove anything. Now, since they got so many, so burned in the foreclosure, you better – if you don't have three years' tax returns, even if you can meet everything else, they're going to say no. Every, you, if yeah. they've gotten, it's gotten much more difficult, and that's why you know having someone who's a broker who knows what's going on in there and knows who the lenders are that are active is very beneficial to the buyer. Wow. That, that sounds like what I'm dealing with every day in my office with what deals. It's just the way it is. It's really very difficult. Um, we're going to go into our first commercial break. And uh, But stay tuned. Well, you're here with the Mike Bell Show, and we're talking with Michael Gray, uh, Senior Vice President with Lambert Development. We're talking about the housing needs. And when we come back to the show, uh, we're going to ask, we're going to talk about um, what, what's it like to be in a development deal. And he's going to take us into a deal and um, kind of go run through it, maybe in about five minutes. But uh, this is really, really very, very interesting. And uh, I want to. I also want to find out where do I fit into all of this, Mike? <laughs> no, it's really important. I, we talked about this briefly before. It's important to have uh, a really good broker at your side in these deals, and uh, we're going to be talking about that in a little bit. So, where's my music? <laughs> Now, back to the Mike Bell Real Estate Show on TalkZone.com. Here's Mike Bell. Welcome back to the show. It's Mike. I'm here with Michael Gray, Senior Vice President of Lambert Development. Um, remember, this is a call-in show. The call-in number is 888-GO-FOR-IT. So uh, feel free to give you a uh, – this is the segment that we're going to take calls. Anyways, Mike, so – we were talking about the risks and the financing and everything like that. I don't think we quite finished up on the financing. We were right in the middle of, you know, pretty much getting a bank loan. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about. Well, as I started, we we built this project in San Diego. And it was a hundred million dollars. We borrowed sixty-five million from uh, a major bank in San Diego. That at that time, I believe we did have a completion guarantee, which means we guarantee to complete the project no matter what it costs. So there are so the bank had us somewhat tied down. What happens if you didn't finish it? I mean, what's the worst case scenario? What do they do? They'll sue us for your net worth. And uh, wow. see, it's not like you can just put, in our case, 
ten million dollars into a project, and if you lose it, you lose it. In in many of these cases, when you get in the personal guarantee, they can come after you for anything. But then on top of that, you've got what we call this mezzanine financing, and this was basically investment banks that sold pensions on getting a certain return, and then they had the expertise to to invest the money as as equity. That money paid a fixed interest rate of 20% per annum, compounded monthly. Who's the bank on that, or is it a... Well, I can use the term, I'll give the name, because they're no longer in business. We did a lot of this with Lehman Brothers in New York, Mm -hmm. and they made a lot of money at this. This is separate from the the whole banking fiasco. And uh, so, but the problem with, from the developer's perspective, with the mezzanine money was the mezzanine money gets its its, uh, interest return before we get our equity back. Wait, they get paid... Before you get paid. Before we get our capital back. They get their profit. Before you get your capital back. Yes. Uh-huh. So, and we had a project in San Francisco where Lehman made their full 20% internal rate of return and we lost $2 million. Okay. Because they were getting their interest before we got our capital back and it was a situation which is another risk where we had a construction problem. There was a mistake by either the architect or the contractor, and the elevators didn't fit when they went to be installed. And, of course, we're the one basically last in line, so we were holding the bag. So you've got those. You've got basically 65% construction uh, loan. You've got roughly 25%, in this case, uh, mezzanine financing, and the developer in for 10. But but what makes this um, such a difficult thing, and I I think a lot of people don't appreciate how difficult the – Development businesses. I had no idea. I mean, I'm just. I don't want to. I don't want to ever do this. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Well, you got financial <laughs> risk. In other words, which means it's not just your equity; it's your net worth. You've got economic risk. You're starting a project that may take two or three years. You don't even know whether there'll be any buyers there at the end of the time. You've got sales risk, which means can you sell it at that time? And uh, you know that's you know really how you and I met. And that, mm-hmm. that person can be really important. Um, to get involved really early in the project because during this period where you're going through the entitlements, you've got an architect that's done a design, but you want to talk to people who know what the customer is looking for mm-hmm. so that you try to develop a product that will, that will, but people will like it. And so getting that sort of input from a, uh, a broker, which is separate to their relationship with the salesperson, but it's, but it's, it's very helpful to develop. Well, let me ask you on something like that. I always give my, my clients advice to interview three agents. Do you guys have a policy? Interview three agents? Or what do you do to find the right? Because we're, we're not all created equally, unfortunately. Okay. We don't, um, we don't obviously deal with the customer. That's their decision. But, um, when we, when it came into this community, which is where we met you, that we were looking for the guy who knew the most about selling for sale product. Yeah. And we we found a guy, but then it turned out in this case you were selling all the units. So if we had done, if we were going to do a follow-on project, we would have used you, not him. He's not too happy with me. I remember the, the I think we, I sold seven of units in in about ten days, and on the seventh one, he's in the office and he's typing away in front of my client, and he looks at me and he goes, uh, he said, uh, "You're making me look really bad." And I don't know what to say, but. My client was sitting there looking at me like, "Oh my gosh." Well, hey. Anyways, go ahead. Sorry. Well, anyway, so you've got you got financial risk, you got economic risk, you got sales risk, you got design yeah. risk. You can screw up the design. Yeah. You've got construction risk is a substantial 
one I'll come back to in a second. You've got interest rate risk. Interest rates can go up. Your buyers don't want to buy. You've got political risk that you're going to be able to get the entitlements that you bought the property based on. You paid a certain price for the land, which works out to a certain price per unit. And if you can't get that number of units, you're, 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 in, you're in trouble there. And then you've got personal guarantee. But let me let me go back and, and we're going to start talking about a, a project that we did. And it's the one that we met Mike on. But we had in this project some considerable construction problems. And uh, what happened was we were finishing the project and all of a sudden – Well, we were, 67 units. 67 units. And we were seeing rust come through the stucco. Okay, doesn't look good. Okay, so um, you know, and this this is an idea of a risk. You know, you know, you got to figure out what the problem is. You got to fix it, and the banks can expect you to pay for it all. Okay, mm-hmm. out of your own pocket. It turned out in this case that the the um, underlying sheet metal was not what was specified, and it was not designed to be wet. And so we basically had to take all of the stucco off the building, replace the sheet metal. And 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 uh, restucco the building. So this just gives you an idea. And, and then what the developer does is he manages these risks. Well, I remember you were down there all the time. I mean, this is a hands-on thing. You can't just we're swing on site in. every week. You're, you're on site, yeah, and we have site. we have a representative that's there more. Okay, mm-hmm. I typically was at the pro- every one of our projects every week. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, that. Yeah, I remember waving to you. Wondering if I could ever work with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's interesting. We have actually tried to do some other things, but the music hasn't really started enough. We we were interested in a very interesting project, but you know, it's kind of interesting. It was a, a case where the project, or the property was down zone, and so the developer was really stuck. He was trying to get a certain number of units, so he ended up trying to make it into a convalescent hospital. Hey, Michael, we have our first caller. We have Alex in Hollywood. Alex, how are you? Welcome to the Mike Bell Show. You? Great, great. Mike, Thank you for you? calling. Yeah, I like listening to your show. I have a question. Um, I don't like developers, and I actually don't trust them. And I want to know what you can do to change my mind about that. <laughs> let me wow. see if I can respond a, to that. That's let a me, doozy. Sorry. Let, me, let, me, let me start off with, you know, developers are just are just people like anyone else. you got good ones and you got bad ones. But you have to remember, development is very controversial and political. Um when we uh, are taking a project through the city, we are basically defending the zoning which the city set. city says you can build a certain number of units on this property, you buy the land, and then you put the project in, and people start attacking you, saying they don't want that level of density and every every other reason. So we're sort of there out in front, and, and, and uh, for example, there are a lot of people that don't want growth because they're afraid of it. We may get to this a little later because this is, a, I think, a real important subject is having to do with density. But we're kind of the one who's out there in front who gets uh, attacked a lot. I think another part of it probably is I've been talking a lot about how risky it is. Um, Most developers go bankrupt in their career. We're lucky we never have. But almost every other developer I know has gone bankrupt just because of one of these these, um, other um, uh, problems happening. I can see that. It's, it's, there's so many moving parts to this thing. So you were talking about um, the political risks and kind of going through the entitlement process. And we were talking about this before. When we had lunch. We were talking about how the city says they want this. The general plan says they want this. City council members say they want this. this the municipality gets to vote on it. They get plenty of time to say what they really want. 
in their city, and then you come in and say, I can deliver. Take it from there. Okay. Well, um, the first thing that happens is city council people are typically only motivated by getting reelected. I mean, they're trying to, they say they're trying to do a good thing. I have mixed, mixed feelings on that. But really what they do is they put their finger up to the air and they say, what's going on here? Because if I vote for something, even though I know it's right, and even though, as you say, it's in the plan and everything else, they may vote me out of office. So yeah. why should I do that? Well, they get recalled okay. here in California, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's very difficult. So, uh, and you're the guy that has to sort of defend the project. Mm-hmm. Now, we were talking a little bit about it at lunch, though, but how the city will say this is what we want, and you come in and you start you start giving them what they want. I mean, they give you some parameters to work with, and then what what ha- what's one of the challenges that happens? Well, not it? openly, they kind of say, you know, you go solve the problem. Sure. Okay, and so you meet with the various interest groups and. Uh, uh, you try to work out a compromise, and, and to some extent, you built usually into the project. In all honesty, a certain amount of wiggle room. Okay, mm-hmm. and uh, but you've got to be able to, to trust the, the people on the other side. Um, uh, you, uh, hopefully, to the extent you can, you try to you try to compromise. But you're sometimes when um, it just it just comes down to a vote, and um, the developer is seen as the bad guy, you know, because he's you know. The one that's doing the project that the city said they wanted, but the people don't want it. And, and we have been in situations where we were going to do a two million square foot office development at an airport, old airport land in a beach community, and uh, the um, there was a uh, initiative put on the ballot to stop the project after the city had approved it, and it we we the city owned the land, had picked us from a development competition, had told us what to build. And we lost millions. Okay, so it's it's a it's a huge it's a huge political risk. Again, I'm just trying to get. I just hope people appreciate that development isn't as easy as it looks. Now, I will say that when things go really well, you can make you can do very well because if your costs are fixed and you can raise prices, you can you can make you can make a very good return. Well, it's risk and return. I mean, with anything in the marketplace, the more you risk, the more you you know. You should you should get back. So, um, so in terms of uh, how about uh, this is a tough word to say, but how about the environmentalists? Can you can you talk <laughs> okay. a little bit about some of those challenges? Well, let, 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 let me take the. I mean, I'm going to answer the question but, because because um, you know you know it'd be simple for me to say I'm I'm an environmentalist. I I try to be you know sort of down in the middle, and this really comes into the whole issue of planning and development. And um, on the one hand, we have a lot of what we'll call slow growth people Mm -hmm. who just want single family developments. Well, we have learned in Southern California, if you just have single family developments, there are not enough bodies within walking distance of the train to make transit work. Okay. So you have um, situations where um, the city figures this out, builds, builds transportation and changes zoning. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes becomes a political fight. Um, in, environmentalists, on the one hand, don't want you know development being extended way out and wasting resources. But um, the, the the problem that ha- can happen with at least 
from a developer's perspective is we have not always been able to trust the other side. Most of what we do is on the record. We can't, you know, if, if we say something and it isn't accurate, they're going to sure they're, they're going to blast crucify you. us. Especially these okay. days, right now with the internet, but, I mean they'll just blast yeah. you. But on the there have been situations. There was a huge development in a place called Playa Vista, where the developer made a deal with the environmentalists and gave up seventy five percent of the land. Then they turned around and made the deal and thought he could move forward. And then they turned around suing him and made that developer go belly up. Then they sued him again and made that developer go up. Oh, my goodness. So, oh my goodness. And, and from a developer's point, you say, well, how do we make a deal if we can't trust that they'll live up to their portion of it? On the other hand, sometimes we're on the same same side. In Oregon, they have what they call growth boundaries, which basically means they draw a line and they say, on this side's agricultural and on this side is, is urban. And you can't move into the agricultural area until – most of the urban land, and they move. That's a political decision to move. That's that. interesting. But, yeah. but here in California, we're building roads and power lines and sewers out to one house in the in the middle of nowhere in the desert, which well, is which the environmentalists aren't in favor. I want to talk about that. We're going to start. We're, we're going to wrap up this, this segment. We're going to go to a commercial break, but we're going to keep talking with Michael Gray with Lambert Development. Uh, we're here on the Michael Bell Real Estate Radio Show, and we're going to be and uh, then in our last segment, we're going to be talking. Let's get back to the Mike Bell Real Estate Show on TalkZone.com. Here's Mike Bell. All right, so we're back. Welcome back to the show. Our discussion is with Michael Gray, uh, national home builder. And uh, we actually, I want to continue talking through the history of a project. I thought it was really interesting, very fascinating with the, with the one in South Pasadena, which actually I wound up living there for a little bit. This is back in 2005. So um, he liked it so much he bought one. He I bought several actually. I actually, uh, yeah, I was the only one that was able to buy. Uh, I think I bought three. Everyone's scratching mm-hmm. their heads. How'd you do that? Um, anyways, go ahead. Well, let's let's start off. South Pasadena is a very nice suburban community, and it has nice sort of craftsman homes. Um, it has excellent schools, so it's the kind of community people want to live live in. The uh, f- one of the first uh, trains that was being developed in uh, Southern California was taking an old uh, what I call the Super Chief line from downtown Los Angeles to uh, Pasadena and headed out eastward. Yep. The city was where there, so this train was going to be bought, taken through the town. And, the, and again, the town was historic and had lots of tradition and was, was a delightful urban town. Um, the city, knowing this was going to happen, you know, the idea is you build density around transit because then you don't have traffic. You have people taking the train instead of uh, uh, taking their car. Um, the uh, city did a downtown plan where they wanted to increase the density. This particular site was zoned for about 60 units to the acre. Mike, real quick, are you finding this, and I'm finding this, a lot of um, a lot of cities around the nation, they want to protect their neighborhoods and they want to put the density. I mean, there's a number of reasons to increase the density in the what they call, the, I guess, the central core. The, um, is that... That, that's that been going on for at least 10 years, right, or maybe right. more. That is one of the re- main uh, principles, I think, of the new urbanism. You know, you're trying to revitalize your cities where you already have the infrastructure. You're also trying to get away from cars so that, you know, it, it's actually a better lifestyle. Somebody isn't spending hours, you know, you know, driving uh, to and from work. 
Um, I have lived in um, in Boston, which is a very you know a, there are certain cities that that people like, and we will probably get to that in the last segment talking about density. But um, uh, they, the density is not necessarily bad. It is new. And it and it it depends upon you know exactly how much density you have, but it, in itself it's not really bad. So, I guess you could say in South Pasadena they were planning to increase the density. They, they put through a plan. We um, this piece of property had lots of constraints. On the one hand, it was a block less than a block from the station. Uh, it was uh, half a block from the old historic retail area, so it was it was a wonderful site in which there had been some old homes. Well, the, the train wasn't even going through yet. No, this is word. word. You, you didn't even. I remember you didn't even know how loud the bells were going to be. Well, that was a problem. We'll get to later. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> Those crossing bells turned out to be a problem, but um, uh, so we started negotiating. The, the property was owned. There was one piece that we were able to. Acquire fairly easily, but there were several that were owned by a convalescent hospital across the alley, and the convalescent hospital was owned by a, a reasonably difficult owner. And in order to get the property, he was uh, extremely tough. We had to replace in our development the laundry for the uh, convalescent hospital. We had to build it into our project. Again, it's a residential project. We also had to build in a certain amount of parking for them. We also um, uh, were a, the, the uh, Metropolitan Transit District was interested in a parking lot, so we ended up planning in building a very large garage for commuters uh, to take the train uh, from South Pasadena downtown. So this project is starting to get complicated. It has 66 units. It has a small amount of retail. Uh, it has to it has to go through the planning process. Which, um, you know, we were, we were able to successfully navigate. We had, one of our partners was very good at that, uh, in terms of reaching out to the neighborhood. But then we got a, um, a real curveball. One of the houses right in the middle, although it, it, people would say it had no architectural significance, it turned out that it was owned at one time by the first developer in, in South Pasadena. So it had some historic uh, well, significance. Isn't that the, the house that they filmed Halloween at, the original Halloween with Michael Myers? And they I moved don't know. It I'm not sure. Donald Pleasance was running down the street being chased by Michael Myers. And it could be. I don't it, know. It, yeah. it was, and I think you guys moved it over to the other side of well, the here, track. Here's what happened. Okay, First of all, there are two reasons for declaring something historic. Okay, One yeah. is it's architecturally significant, or two, there is some historic event that happened here. Yeah. Well, Finding that an early developer had lived in the house was a stretch. But what we were able to do was we were able to find another part that was that Caltrans owned because Caltrans had been in litigation forever with the city of South Pasadena. Now, the city of South Pasadena and Caltrans, let's say they have a long history of litigation over the extension of a freeway, yes. which has never been resolved. And the Caltrans said they wouldn't even talk to the city of South Pasadena. So we had to actually go to the governor of the state of California to get him to intercede to get that so Cal, so we could eventually buy this excess parcel of a home that they had torn down. We moved this historic house over there. We got a nonprofit developer to take it over. We basically the guy who had been a tenant in this house for 20 years, ended up getting to, to live there and ending up owning the house for what he was paying in rent. It turned out to be a wonderful situation where we saved this house 
of dubious uh, historical significance. Became, it became low-income housing, basically, and the guy got home ownership. So that was a whole whole series of things. Okay, We um, had hired a very well-known architect, and he designed a wonderful project, which was actually fairly dense. Uh, people don't know that because we didn't have an elevator and we didn't have any double-loaded corridors, but we did have some stairs. And it, the 60, it's actually about 60 units to the acre, which is greater density than you have in an apartment building with a double-loaded corridor. Well, so it turned out to be it. very dense, but we also designed it so that it got bigger away from the street. So in the front, it looked like it was two stories. In the back, it was four stories. And if anybody ever wants to go, you can Google Mission Meridian Village, and you can take a look at the project. It's an amazing project. I, I don't know how many awards you guys have won, but that one racked it up. Well, we did get an award from the Congress of New Urbanism, too. And uh, quite frankly, our partner, Michael Deaton, did, was very responsible for a lot of that and yeah. made, a great, made a great contribution. So, okay, so... We were able, okay, so that takes us to getting the right to be able to build. We get the entitlements. Now we have to, and we have the, we have a, a great design. We're having it estimated by a contractor. We're having really tough time. Uh, oh, you're paying mortgage payments too at the time. We're paying option payments, okay, to the guy. And <laughs> I think we're paying like, uh, $50,000 every three months or something like that, you know, which oh. is if we don't get anything, it's just, you know, okay. So, um, we have to go now, um, the bank, we, we, we've, We've, we're, we're talking to a major bank, and I'm not sure we're supposed to sell, say names, but they had a program with the with a California retirement plan of a combination of equity and debt, where they basically combined the mezzanine and the, and the debt, and they're willing. But the problem is there hasn't been any new housing in South Pasadena for 20 years, so the rents and the prices that things have sold at are really low. So the price that the bank will agree for the sales price, we can't build them for. Okay, because the construction cost 20 years later is much higher. Yeah. So we had a big struggle in how to get the thing to work financially. But it all did eventually come together. Um, we borrowed. We, we were able to get this loan financing that we did have some construction problems, which I mentioned before. Uh, we um, do you always have construction problems? Or is just you just try to minimize them. I mean, it's just going to happen. Is that one of those things? We've. Um, w- we haven't. We've only had construction problems on really two of the eight projects. Oh. Um, that one. Well, it depends on whether you talk construction or defects. Okay. okay? Yeah. And sure. Maybe we ought to because defects are different. Construction problems is just it was it was a mistake. This was a mistake of the wrong material, and when the elevators didn't fit in the in the buildings, that was a construction. Those are both mm-hmm. construction problems. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so you so, wind up you wind up building them all, and obviously, and then you got to ha- hire a sales force. Yeah, I remember you hired. We, had to hire, we, we hired a, another broker in in the area who was adequate, but certainly not dynamic. And that was how we we originally met you. We were successful in selling all the units in mm-hmm. advance. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And as you said, you sold seven in one week, so you you certainly sold more than anybody else. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. I was pretty passionate about it. The, the, just it was a no-brainer. I mean, I even told people it's it's such a no-brainer. I'll live there. Well, and, t- I did. and you did. Well, to tell you the truth, people we were we could we probably should have tried to sell them for more. Although people who bought them wouldn't probably say that. But you could actually buy a unit at Mission Meridian, and your in, your interest payment would be lower than you you could pay rent somewhere else. Yeah, I know. 
Okay. I know. I didn't know. We, we, we should have. I didn't tell we, you when I first saw you. <laughs> you. You bought them first. I right? was representing the buyer. <laughs> you bought them first, right? But I mean, we did fine and we were able to raise prices to, to cover our construction costs so we didn't get killed there. And we were able to sell them and we were able to get the bank financing and we overcame the construction issues. So if we, if we, maybe we may talk about defects later, but. Uh, well, let me ask you on something like this from start to finish. How many was it? Uh, two years, five years? How, how long was this whole process? And when did you finally get your money back and make money? Uh, from the, we were probably involved for about three years, but uh, and maybe three to four years. But the but the, our one partner was involved for a couple of years before that, trying to work the property and three, and five, negotiate. seven, yeah. six yeah. years, something like that. Yeah. Wow, I mean, and it's long term, and you and you and again, you have not only your capital involved, but you have your time and and sometimes your net worth. In this case. Um, we had a pretty limited guarantee, as I remember, but it was limited to a certain amount of money. Wow, wow! This is this is really very very interesting. Well, we're going to go to our actually. This is going to be our final break. I think before that, uh, I still have a little bit of butterflies. This is my second show, and Dave's been so great, my producer, in helping me through all this. But we're going to go into our next break, our last break, and we're going to wrap up with Mike. I have some other questions to ask him. And um, you're on the mic. You're listening to the Mike Bell Real Estate Show. Welcome back to the Mike Bell Real Estate Show on TalkZone.com. Here's Mike Bell. All right, welcome back to the show. My name is Mike Bell. I'm here with Michael Gray with Lambert Development, a, a nationwide developer. Um, and we're going to continue our discussion and kind of finish up, actually. And one of the things we, you had talked about was um, urbanism, new urbanism, yeah. uh, and also like trends. What, where, where is all of this going? I know there's a, the public-private partnerships. Uh, in California, we have rede- redevelopment that is just off the table. We don't have that money anymore. But um, I'd let's, love to let, hear about what, what you have to say about that. Where are the opportunities, too, for developers? Let's, let's talk about that because that's oh, kind of – and I want to talk about Central America. That's really interesting. Why are you in Central America? I want to hear about that. Because you can sell them there. <laughs> <laughs> developers like to sell stuff. I don't have know. a license down there. Shoot. Um, I don't think there – when you're selling some, a house for $35,000, I don't think there's much commission. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, uh, but you're talking. Let's talk about urbanism. Well, let's talk about redevelopment a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the big challenges in this country is affordable housing. And in California, we had a redevelopment law that required the redevelopment agencies to basically use 10% of their funds to to um, develop affordable housing. In the last year or two, the governor of California basically got rid of. Uh, 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 redevelopment because the funds that were going in that had been diverted away from the schools and the and the state was short of money and they needed money for the schools so they figured we'll go get redevelopment law but the uh, other part of that there were two parts to that one is controversial and the other is the is the housing portion is that money that would have been spent on affordable housing is gone okay um, the um, other part of um, redevelopment. Um, that was good from a development perspective, but was very controversial. Was eminent domain, 
the redevelopment agencies had the right of eminent domain. So if the city wants to come in and redo a part of the city, they could threaten the – I don't think they very often used eminent domain. They would threaten to use eminent domain. Now, if that's done well to revitalize something like Old Town in San Diego or Old Town in Pasadena, it's great. But if it's taking your house and you don't want your house taken, it's very controversial and there have been uh, groups rising up against that. Again, that's a political decision. To me, as a developer, of course, prejudice, um, I would like them to keep it. And if the, if, the, if the political people don't do it right, vote them out of office, and then then it'll go away. But but that but that is sort of gone. So affordable housing is going to be more and more challenging. Uh, the uh, most of that is done through tax credits, which are done competitively. But that that is a, a limit a limited market. Um, Turning into the sort of urbanism of the future, uh, transportation is a key element and changing people's views that density is bad. Um, I have lived in Boston. I spent a lot of time in San Francisco, Washington, D.C., and New York City. And the sort of density that's like three units above retail or above the street is people love living it. They call yeah. them triple yeah. deckers. They love them in Boston. They love them in San Francisco. Yep. You know your neighbors. You have an urban life. They're not. Nobody's zoning for that. Okay, the cities aren't. They're either zoning high rise residential or they're zoning single family. And I and I think you need to sort of look at you know sort of what's what, what people like living in. And it, it's to me, I don't see the closest thing to that is townhouses. And I think townhouses are a lot of people like townhouses. Well, the mixed use. Uh, when you say you're going to be doing a mixed use development, that well, that that yeah. creates a, that 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 fills a lot of voids that the government's looking for and people are looking for. Mixed, mixed use is, is, is challenging. I think it's great. It's it's very difficult because um, you bring in issue, issues of noise, odor, smoke, um, uh, vibration. When you have a restaurant under residential, you have big issues of vibration because of the um, fans and the hoods. Okay, and we had some 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 challenges with that. So there are there are challenges to it. But I think overall, it's it's wonderful. And I think if you look, you know, developers have created some wonderful places. I mean, if you look at Faneuil Hall and Ghirardelli Square in San Francisco, here in Los Angeles, the Grove, you know, these are nice areas which include housing and contribute to the Hugely popular. Community. And we have the Americana in, in Glendale. It's just, mm-hmm. yeah, hugely popular. And if you have the density... Then you're gonna you're you're gonna have a better quality of life because not everybody's gonna be on the road. And uh, in Southern California, I um, used to I live in Santa Monica. I don't anymore. But you don't you don't head east on the ten after about two o'clock in the afternoon. It can take you two hours to get to Dodger Stadium or to the Hollywood Bowl on a on a on, a, on about a uh, twenty. 20 minute drive normally just because of the traffic and uh you know that's it's crazy well it's even on the thoroughfares just here in pasadena there's a main one of the main boulevards is colorado the other one is lake and i don't think i ever get on either of those streets anymore i go on the side street it's just too congested well but it's, it's interesting you say that because pasadena has actually increased their density somewhat which is more revitalized the downtown i mean mm-hmm. you go around the theater district old town it's great but it does have some of these other effects yeah okay. absolutely absolutely so um, where do you see um, – so you see more development going into the central cores and uh, – and, and done around transportation. And done around tra- – less fighting from the environmentalists. Well, uh, I, I don't think that – I don't think that's going to go away. I would just challenge the environmentalist if you, if you make an agreement, stick to it. And don't say, well, we can, you know, 
we'll sue you as the Audubon Society, and next year we'll sue you as the Sierra Club, and next year we'll sue you as someone else. You know, it's, um, you know. Um, you you have to have pretty thick skin to be in what the business that you're in. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of risk. Yeah. It's my biggest weakness. I take the stuff personally sometimes. Oh, I can understand. Um, I, I remember seeing you take some arrows, and it's like, gee whiz, you know. That's the way it is sometimes. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I have been I've been public enemy number one in a city before. So just because we had to to, to stand up for something, and uh, ultimately we made a deal, but you know you can be very unpopular. You know. Well, I you know, and I'm very happy with where I lived. It was mm-hmm. a great place. Um, so thank you for coming out here. I mean, one of the services that I um, I think we talked about, and I know you you build all over the place, is that I help people find really good brokers. And this is one of the services that I offer to anybody that's listening. I don't care if you're in Nebraska, San Diego, Pasadena. Well, if you're in Pasadena, give me a call. I'd love to help you. But, um, you, Michael, you've gone through this before. When you look for a good broker, it's not only – it. It, it might not be the guy that's blogging like crazy. It might not be the guy that's selling a, selling a whole bunch of houses because they may be an REO broker. Their only client might be a bank. Um, they may not even have a website because they're so busy. But that's a service I provide. It's a complimentary service. So you can always give me a call on my personal cell phone, 888-401-1555, if you ever need, um, need help finding somebody. Um, I do want to. Well, let me let me let, just make a couple yeah reactions to that. Um, we don't, you know, we're mar- we're marketing and the selling side, so we may hire a company to do that. Or we may hire a broker. Obviously, in the case here, you would we would have been better if we found you, but we, we didn't. You didn't pop up when we, yeah. in, in our research. So I think it's important that people do research and people uh, ask yeah. their friends and also ask them ask for some references after the deal's gone through. And ask them, you know, uh, you know, what what did they do, you know, above and beyond? Were they were they honest with you? Did they tell you to do something, not to do something, or did they, you know, um, do they? How knowledgeable do they seem? And uh, well, there's know. some that can really talk the talk, and the other ones they just can't walk the walk. So, yeah. well, I think if you, you you mentioned that you're the leading broker in the San Gabriel Valley, that says a lot. Thank you. Yeah, it it says a lot. It's funny. Um, I didn't know it until they announced it at the Christmas party. Mike, I want to I want to give everybody your email address. Okay. It's I'm just going to say it out loud and then I'm going to spell it. It's it's calexplore at aol.com. C A L X P L O R E R at aol.com. C A L X P L O I'm sorry. <laughs> C-A-L-X-P-L-O-R-E-R at AOL.com. Um, I'm sure you'd be happy to take anybody's I'd be happy emails. to answer anyone's emails. Yeah. So. Um, in the coming weeks, we're going to have some really great shows. We're going to have a show on short sales. We're going to have a show uh, we're going to call uh, How to Kill a Deal. If you're in a deal and you want out or you need out, I'll give you some pretty good advice on how to get out of it. Uh, we'll talk about how realtors get into trouble. We'll talk about uh, the best questions to ask your agent. Uh, when you're interviewing agents, and I'll be giving you the answers to those. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking to everybody next week. Uh, that's all for this week's show. Thank you very much, Michael Gray of, of Lambert Development. I'll be back next week at the same time. Don't forget to visit my website, 
MikeBellTeam.com. And thank you very much for listening. The opinions expressed in the Mike Bell Real Estate Show are solely those of the hosts and do not reflect the opinions of anyone at TalkZone.com, Keller Williams Realty, any board of realtors, or anyone for that matter. Always hire a real estate attorney when making real estate decisions. Do not try any of this at home.